Hello and welcome to another Pod by the Fireside with me, Gregory Alexander-Sharp. This is the second episode in our series on all things werewolf and I'll be joined again by our resident expert in the law of the lycanthrope, the host of Viral Sensation Werewolf the Podcast, multi-talented, multi-published, renaissance man, Mr. Fenrir Thorvaldsen. Fen, how are you? And how's your week been since episode one? Um, yeah, it's it's been okay, but I don't know about the expert thing. I've uh, had um, someone from the, uh, yes, yeah, someone, a Norse expert, not to really enjoy my Norseness. So I need to work on my Norse pronunciation, apparently. So I will do my best. Indeed. And if anybody needs more information on that, episode 109 of Werewolf, the podcast, <laughs> uh, available wherever you get your podcast, probably the same place you got this one, as a matter of fact. Yeah. Yeah, probably, probably. Yeah, I, I've got to say Uthenil properly. Uthenil. I, I can't say it properly. So I think I'll you're think doing a pretty good job on that. I'll do my best. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm Fen and I run a I run a, uh, a podcast that's doing all right and it's fun and go listen and that'll be, yeah, that's, that's kind of me. <laughs> oh, I have to apologise here though, Greg, that I, I got the date wrong for the Dog Soldiers. It's 2002. Sorry, after, after watching 563 films, the dates are a bit of a blur. So I do apologise. Um, I'm, I really ap- apologise to, to my family. I, I've let them down. Well, I'm not sure an apology is needed, but if it is, <laughs> I'm quite sure it's well accepted. Yes, it will be noted. Do you know, I'm, <laughs> I'm not sure. There must surely be a place for you in the Guinness Book of Records. Maybe the only person alive who's watched every surviving werewolf movie. That's, that's really not the case because I started down the Japanese manga line. Ah. Don't do it because if you look for Japanese werewolf manga and well, all the other stuff, we won't go into details. I was terrified by how much material has been produced. So um, that might be a book for the future or it might not be. So, yeah, I haven't watched everything. So if you've watched everything, you deserve the world championship because some of it is terrible. The werewolf in London porn parody was... (laughs) was not the best thing in the world to watch ever but you know it was it was done so there we go good lord <laughs> yeah <laughs> what will they think of next <laughs> exactly yeah watching watching people do things in rubber masks basically anyway moving on <laughs> <laughs> moving on well i was about to say all right let's do it but i'm going to rephrase that i think <laughs> yes, please. Uh, okay so let's get started as i said this episode's Uh, dedicated to, it's the second episode of our werewolf series, it's werewolf mythology. I think I suggested we were going to be doing lycanthrope literature uh, as we were closing the show out last week, and it's not its mythology this week, but that's okay. First three episodes are going to be released together, so if you want to listen to the literature one first, do that. That's fine. Um, These don't have to be done in any particular order, but uh, we're recording this as episode two, so let's let's get to it. Picture the scene, if you will. There's been a power cut. The lights are out. Fen and I are back in our little log cabin on the edge of that spooky forest. And we have but a single candle to pierce the veil of shadow 
the night has brought down upon us like a weighted blanket. The conversation turns to matters most malevolent, and eventually we begin to ponder the mythology of that most fearsome of beasts, the werewolf. Obviously. So there's a lot to unpack here. Hundreds of years worth uh, of stuff to get through, to be honest. And we can't do all that in one podcast. We probably can't even do all that in one series of podcasts because we're talking about a couple of millennia, basically, of history. A lot. But first up, we're going to have uh, a look back at some of the very first mentions we could find of, of werewolves in human history. And actually, you know, Fenn, he might not have watched every single werewolf movie that's ever been made, but he has studied history, human history in its entirety uh, from the beginning of time until this point as part of his research for this show. So, so hats off. Uh, I hope you experts are listening to this. That will please the experts at the University of Aberdeen. (laughs) That's for sure. Um, And the second topic we're going to get to will be the tales of werewolves found in European history. So European law, you might say. Uh, And there's mountains of this. There's mountains of this. And some of it's really well documented. So we could be here for a thousand years trying to get through all of that. So um, we've, we've chosen some interesting examples and some background information that you know it might be news to you and it's certainly interesting the third topic we're going to get to will be werewolves in other cultures and indeed there are cultures outside of europe so i'm not suggesting for a moment that there are only two cultures you know those that's european culture and others Uh, i'm fully aware that the world's a big place and it and it exists beyond europe but there's a lot of werewolf history in europe i'm just saying but it and turns kind of, out there's a lot where we've been brought up in, isn't it? It's kind of the classic werewolf for us. You yeah, know, so, it, you know. for us it is for sure. That kind of Central European image of a dark forest uh, and a you know a, a wolfine creature stalking the locals that that really sort of triggers the imagination. And we're going to look at uh, how those myths have been brought into our modern times, into the modern world and how they sort of translated or get translated in the way we tell stories today. Um, and, and we'll make some connections between the past and the present uh, and, and actually have a thought about what that might mean in the future as well. So with that said, Fen, how about we lead off with a little bit of a history lesson from yourself and maybe you can uh, <laughs> tell us a bit about the origins in the dawn of time. The dawn of time. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, well, I, I, I'm sure that werewolves have been around for a lot longer than this, but really, the I don't suppose it's a really is a, a strictly a werewolf story. But you have the Epic of Gilgamesh in and 2100 BCE. Is that 4,000 years ago, something like that? Mm-hmm. Um, all these, all these particular sort of old folklore stories, sort of Roman pre. Uh, medieval period are always about um, someone being possessed by an animalistic side sort of working their way through that curse of this animalistic side Um, a lot of these characters seem to go out and have a really lot of fun and then realize it's not okay to have lots of fun and then the curse is lifted and they become very good people so the epic of Gilgamesh is it it's basically uh, been a rewritten story for a long time where um 
we get the 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 king who meets this wild man called Enkidu, and he's the idea that he's the wild man out there, and he's going to introduce the king who was a bit of a boy, and he takes him out, and they have many adventures together, and meet sorcerers, and do stabby things and naughty things, and then sadly the Enkidu gets ill, and. He, the hero of the story gets so worried that he's going to lose his wild man friend that he goes and tries to find the secret of immortality. And what he learns is that it's not a good thing to be immortal and he doesn't want to be immortal. And the great thing to do is to enjoy life, move on, be a moral being. And then he goes back home and he starts to look after his people. He takes all his statues down to him and all the money's funneled into his people and he looks after his people and the, the curse is kind of lifted, but we don't specifically know that he's being turned into a werewolf for the curse. We just know that he's being turned into this wild man who goes and parties and okay. does identities and things. Yeah, so that's kind of the first sort of evidence that we have of any kind of werewolf story. And that's and, that's sort of a, a almost a connection between uh, a human life, a human existence being something good and... Um, it can be tarnished by a transformation of sorts, whether this is yeah. a physical transformation or, or a, a sort of psychological transformation into something wild, that's bad. Yeah, I think it's I think it's kind of, of pointing out that you can kind of have a good time, but it's got to be within certain limits. And if you're hurting other people, which is the story there, that he's basically taking all the money from the kingdom to put his statues up and stuff that... Um, that's not a good thing, and you've got to look after others. I think that's kind of the the background of the story. Yeah, so um, okay. that's kind of the first one. There is there is mention in the Bible as well, and uh, that's the sixth century BCE. So there's the Book of Daniel, mm-hmm. and I, I I didn't know how to say this word until I watched um, the Matrix. Nebuchadnezzar. Yes, yes. <laughs> my dad. My dad. I'll just say my dad. Uh, was a bit of a historian and Nebuchadnezzar was his favorite character from history All right. uh, because he used to build structures called ziggurats yeah uh, which um, my dad was a big fan of there you go isn't that just a funky pyramid I think it is yeah, yeah. I think so pyramid with, bit, with yeah flat bits on it isn't with it? sort of multiple layers to it and yeah 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 I, I mean I, I stole my vampire ladies from that time of times she's one of the queens that was hanging around back then that's right what i love about these stories from the past is because there's no proper referenced historical matter that anyone can tell me off for um (laughs) that i can kind of make up things around that but yeah nebuchadnezzar i hope i say it's right is he's then cursed and he's he's turned into this this beast again he's this preening preening king-like person who Mm really doesn't care about his people and he gets cursed and he goes and goes into the woods and he meets a sorceress who makes him realize that I'm not a good, I'm not a good person. That's why I'm a wolf. And then as he travels home, he becomes a better and better person and his wolf bits fall off basically until he gets home. Yeah. So it's basically the same story as again, but just slightly different in its interpretation. Yeah. So, so I, I think I recall, this is Nebuchadnezzar II for the historians among us at 6th century BCE. Uh, I think there were at least half a dozen oh, a lot of, uh, of Nebuchadnezzars. 
Um, yeah. And uh, I, I seem to remember from somewhere that he lived as a as an animal for six years or seven years or something like that. Yeah. It, was, it was a number seven, of years. Seven years in the woods. Right. Yeah, seven years in the woods, and it's yeah. So that seven, that number seven seems to come up quite mm. a lot, doesn't it? It does, yeah. doesn't it? Yeah, so I don't know what it is about the number seven, but be be very careful about the number seven. It is the number of the beast. Oh no, that's not the number of the beast, is it? It's a different thing. Indeed. Yes, yeah, so we we've got the Bible, uh, and then we've got Herodotus in the fifth century, um, and he talks about a tribe of of werewolves who who near live near Scythia, and they they um, that's like near the uh, Ukraine now, uh, who okay. would turn in turn into uh, a pack of wolves seven days of every month and go off and do their hunting as a pack of wolves and then come back. So that's a positive kind of thing. And he, he describes the way that they work together as a pack and how wonderful it was to see these animals as they ran through the moonlight and all that kind of stuff. So he, he has a kind of different look on, on the idea of the, the werewolf. There's, there doesn't seem to be any sort of focus on it being a bad curse or anything. And it seems to be pretty useful to the, to the tribe as they go out and it's part of what i stole when my when i designed my uh werewolf tribe that they were in trouble so they needed the help of a pack of wolves and all that kind of stuff yeah. and that was also in that in that part of the world as i recall wasn't it russia was it was it over the russian border that's just where russia was born wasn't it the ukraine really yeah right so yeah so that, that that's a, a, a nice story um, and then we have uh, again just another version of the uh, Nebuchadnezzar in the uh, Gilgamesh story with the uh, Petronius in the first century. It's a Roman novel by Petronius, the sat- satire. I can't say it right. Satiricon, satir. Can you say that word? Satiricon. Satiricon. That's it. And that has the tale of the werewolf in it, and the, the guy is Nisseros or Nicaros. So I'm not I'm not very good with Italian, but Nicaros I would call him. And he's a party animal, and he slowly, as he becomes more of a party animal, he becomes more debased and more animalistic, and then eventually turns into a wolf. And realizes as he goes on that he doesn't want to be this wolf creature, and that he wants to become back to being more human. So starts doing kind things, and slowly comes back to being more of a human character and then of course the ovid and where we get the idea of lichens from is the lichen the king of arcadia who was supposed to be one of these evil horrible people who like to torture and be nasty to them um and zeus came down to him and uh, he fed a baby uh, to zeus as his meal so zeus in response turned him into a wolf until he uh, decided that he'd had enough and that he wanted redemption and then became a really nice man again. So it's always this idea of you've got a curse of being an animal and then you're being brought back to being this wonderful human being. Yeah. There's definitely a theme that apart from the the tribe in uh, or the gang in Ukraine, uh, there's definitely a theme that this is, uh, in the case of Lycan and, and Zeus, this is a punishment that was doled out. But for the rest of them, it's it's as a direct result of the actions they've taken. They've brought this down upon themselves in some way. Um, and there's a route back to purity. 
it's, it's as though as that if you're going to behave like an animal, we'll make you into an animal, you know, and there's no, there's no talk about full moons or any of these things in this early. And it is just a strict curse mm-hmm. that you've been given because you've been a bad person. Um, apart, obviously apart from the tribe, but I, I chose that one because it just stands out as something completely different from that time frame. Yeah. you know, um, and I suppose, one of the other things as well is if you look at some of these medieval maps and all those kind of things and the earlier maps than that, you get dog headed men, you know, in the lands where they don't know who lives there or one legged people. So I suppose this idea of like the werewolf being out there is kind of a, a nice thing to think about, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yes, it is. Yeah. So, yeah, that's that's kind of a very quick version of where like the mythology of the werewolf comes from again you know just this curse that you have to go through to prove that you're a good person yeah although zeus is quite funny though because he likes to spend his time as animals doesn't he like a a bull (laughs) and a swan or my favorite is where when he manages to better bed a woman by being a golden shower it has a very different thing these days but you know if you can if you can bed a woman as a, a shower of rain you're doing pretty well very good indeed well rescued um and uh zeus of course transformed himself into animals typically with one objective in mind and that was to to impress women we'll say yeah it's clear that werewolves aren't anything new right we know that there's always been something about them that's captured the imagination otherwise those stories would have died out right they wouldn't have the thing that the thing that surprises me is that that even in all these different parts of Europe, how it always focuses on this particular one animal, this this werewolf as being this cunning um, sort of evil. I mean, we had bears and things bimbling around in the woods mm. and they were never seen as these horrific monster creatures. It must have been so terrifying knowing that out there in basically your back garden was this pack of creatures that could very easily come and take you down so i can kind of understand where they're coming from because i think we forget they had wolves in their back gardens yes at this point you know if you went into the woods there was a likelihood or you might hear or see or even be on the wrong end of them so it's very animalistic to call yourself a wolf isn't absolutely it? absolutely and quite terrifying quite a yeah. prospect yeah i can't imagine the, the feeling of that yeah that must be Mad. And we're going to get into a little bit of that, I think, as we as we jump into the next subject, which is really around sort of the Middle Ages in in pretty much Central Europe, where uh, at that time there was a whole bunch of paranoia about the supernatural going on. And I'm talking about things like the witch trials and things like uh, the revenants or the vampires, uh, but also the werewolves, which had people really frightened um and we've picked out a couple of uh a couple of sort of data points and examples for you here that i hope you'll find interesting so uh fen why don't you take us into that well the the medieval period really is the the key period for kind of the classical idea of the werewolf i mean in the in medieval europe we've got the old English and old High German, which is werewolf, which is man-wolf. So we got the idea that men could transform themselves into wolves or wolf-like creatures. And obviously this was all to do with black magic and, and the curse that you have been uh, transformed into this thing. It was always a bad thing, 
it was never a good thing. Um, and then, yeah, uh, I always think the werewolf trials were all about control of the population because it seemed to be always um, people that were on the edge of the edge of society that were conf- that sort of attributed to witchcraft and doing these certain things. And um, a lot of um, men, especially in the 15th to 17th, 17th century, if you didn't get on well with the local community, would be accused of being werewolves and some of the trials and some of the punishments. And I think you're going to talk about some of the executions later and mm. absolutely awful. And they, they really influenced the idea of the folklore and how you would find these people out. Um, as I was saying before, there's a, a great, a great book written by a, a, a witch finder general called the witch hammer, where he describes how you go and find a werewolf and what you're looking for and how you control them and how you kill them and all the dangers of these things. And yeah. So again, it's this idea of the dangerous, horrible creature out there that you can become. And if you're a, a murderer or someone who's disliked, you seem to be a werewolf of it. And uh, I suppose the most famous example of this is Peter Stump. Mm-hmm. Um, the name changes and it's in various stump, stump or stumped. Um, and that's in the werewolf of Bedburg. And he was accused of being a werewolf. He was uh, traveling along with um, his, he was a trader and he was traveling along and, some woman cursed him on the side of the road and then after that from that point on he was thought to be a werewolf um that obviously we don't know what happened but he was accused of some serious murders and uh one child said that they'd seen him turn from the human into the wolf before before their very eyes and things like that but obviously we don't actually really know um the, the reality of the situation, which I'm sure he was just a, a guy that had come into the local area that nobody liked. So what they did was they decided he was going to be a werewolf. Yeah. So mm. um, with hindsight, know. you know, I think they had good reason not to like him. It it was, it's reasonably well documented. I think that he was an unpleasant human being um, and in all likelihood a murderer. Yeah. So not a nice guy, uh, but not necessarily a werewolf. <laughs> um, no, I suppose I suppose it puts another level of being horrible on top of it if he's called someone a werewolf, yeah. though, isn't it? Well, it's a weapon, isn't yeah. it, in those days? An accusation, yeah. you know, it, to, to us these days, it might annoy you or get under your skin. But in those days, it mm-hmm. could literally lead to your death. And I suppose I suppose there's that way that if you're something other, you're an actual inhuman then you don't have to be treated like a human, do you? So if you're a werewolf or a witch, you can understand. You could understand why a, a wolf would attack and kill. And with Peter, there was the idea of cannibalistic and all that sort of things linked to it. We don't know how far the story went, but like I suppose, there's if he's a wolf, we can understand why he's done that. And what do you do to an animal that attacks people? You kill it. Yeah. So it's an it's an easy way of of doing something by dehumanizing someone, isn't it? It is. It is, and that might explain to some extent how they were able to execute him in quite the brutal manner that they did. The records suggest that his flesh was torn from his bones whilst he was he was conscious, 
with metal pincers that were red hot um, and his bones then broken so that his limbs could be distributed. And then finally they chopped his head off, uh, put it on a spike and attached some signs to it that basically said, this chap was a werewolf, so we did this to him to serve as a warning um, to anyone who might walk past. Now, I have to say, anyone who lived in the area probably knew exactly what was going on. I'm not sure they really needed to do that, but uh, no. but do it, apparently they did. Yeah. That's, it, and it is completely inhuman how they really treated the, the people. I mean, the, if you look at the way that they dealt with the werewolves and the witches as they as they were they didn't just kill them did they there was always no. some kind of next level of awfulness that was done to all these people yeah tortured to death essentially which is yeah. a horrid concept yeah definitely I, I i think that what we're talking about really takes us back to the idea of this evil creature that lives in the woods don't we you know and it builds up to all those famous fairy tales you know little red riding hood and mm. you have like bram stokers and you know wolf's bride and all that different kind of things the the gothic and gothic horror fiction of the modern day as it were or, or, indeed or, yeah. yeah and uh stoker i seem to remember reading somewhere um that in some of his notes prior to writing dracula um exist to this day and Dracula could have been shaped quite differently if he'd chosen some of the options that he'd been toying with. Also, I don't know. That. One of them yeah. was that um, a member of... Uh, well, it wasn't going to be Van Helsing. It was going to be like a, a, a detective story and there would be a German detective who was tracking down the vampire whose name would be Vampire. And uh, a member of the detective's crew, if you like, his gang was going to get killed by a werewolf incidentally oh, right. okay yeah never made it into the into the final story yeah well, we've all been there with editors haven't we yeah we sure have <laughs> remove the best character what <laughs> <laughs> the the main character yeah yeah just make it yeah, about that one <laughs> about him um, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm only joking there by the way no i i, I think um it's it's definitely the the time where we see the the classic things of the moon come out and all these different ideas. But yet again, we're still not getting really into the the modern ethos of what was kind of built into the modern folklore, which was quite kind of invented. We're still at this point. We're talking about someone who's been cursed, or we're talking about someone who has sort of um, a belt or an accoutrement that makes them into turning into this into this werewolf and mm -hmm. it's still seen as a very negative animalistic thing something against god and you're a sinner even if you did it i don't know what putting a like if i was a werewolf and i saw a, a a head on a on a on a stick i don't know how i'd react to that i don't can you just like decide not to be a werewolf can you well, just go, all right I get i get the idea i don't want to be one of them anymore yeah i'm not i'm not going to be one not well maybe it's to it. put off aspiring werewolves who might happen to be traveling down that road. Do you know what? I'm not, I'm not going to be aware. I'm, I'll choose to be yeah. something different, maybe, maybe, maybe a priest or maybe something. Some of these, maybe some of these werewolf Facebook groups need to get some heads on sticks then because there's a lot of these. Uh, I, I go on some of these werewolf Facebook groups and, and sometimes I'm like amazed by how many times there's an offer of private message me if you want to be a werewolf. <laughs> 
I'm like, gosh. Yeah. Haven't you heard what happened to Peter Stump? Yeah. Have you got any idea what's going to happen (laughs) to you? Yeah. I don't know. Maybe there's lots of werewolves out there that I don't know about. Well, maybe there are. Maybe there are. And that's a frightening thought. And uh, just going back to the, the feeling of paranoia that I think there was in Central Europe at that time. And again, not just about werewolves. You know, there was the the witches and the the vampires too, but we're focusing on the werewolves here. There's a story that really triggered my imagination, um, which was about the beast of Gévaudin in France. And we're talking about sort of 1764 through to about 1767. So like a three-year period thereabouts. Um, And a series of, uh, in some cases, extremely well-documented attacks on people by what was described as a monstrous wolf-like creature. And it's fair to say that hysteria sort of flooded the surrounding area and there was a palpable sense of dread in the in the locals at that time, which was must have been horrible to live through. I always, I always kind of wonder how they knew if it was a pack of wolves or if it was like an actual murderer werewolf, you know, it kind of is a bit of a strange one, isn't it? Yeah, well, I think some of the injuries that were described uh, looked like they were made by teeth and claws, that sort of thing. I don't mm. think wolf attacks were entirely uncommon in Central Europe at that time either. So no. this stuff mm. did happen. Wild animals, you know, did did prey hungry wild animals did prey yeah. on isolated individuals it did happen um yeah. and in this instance a number of people did survive there were certainly people that described a wolf-like creature having attacked them and uh, some said it was a sort of hyena like others that it was like a wolf dog thing but most yeah. said it was uh, a really large wolf uh maybe like an unnaturally large wolf okay and in fact the attacks became so frequent and so brazen, they were happening in sort of broad daylight, children being yeah. taken, this sort of thing, that yeah. uh, Louis XV put up a bounty for it. Yeah. So money if you could kill the beast. And a lot of people rocked up, you know, with a CV saying, I'm the best hunter in... <laughs> I'm a werewolf. I'm the best hunter, the best werewolf hunter <laughs> in Western France. You know, you can count yeah. on me. And they would go out and they would kill, find a wolf and they would kill it. And everyone would celebrate, you know, like in the Monty Python film. Yeah. And then somebody would get <laughs> oh. killed by a wolf the next week. And it's oh. like, oh, oh God. exactly. So there was a lot of that went on and a lot of people trying yeah. to claim this bounty by sort of killing local local wolves. And it really didn't achieve very much. I think there were a couple of spells mm. where it went quiet for a month or two and then it would start up again. And it was strange because it was so frequent and so repeated and so sort of brazen, broad daylight. uh, And that wasn't happening elsewhere in France, certainly not at the time. Um, And a lot of the people that were killed were kids, which makes sense because they're a bit smaller, but not all of them. They were adult women and men were killed as well. Um, Yeah. And wolves wolves, wolves are big creatures, aren't they? they I'm always shocked when when you actually stand next to a wolf you think of a dog and then you stand next to a wolf and there's just something different yes about one you know it's a very different creature so they are terrifying aren't they in a way and if you were to imagine a really really big one that's hungry and not and just not afraid i guess that would be quite a prospect if you were out in the woods on your own or tending a herd of cattle or something like that you would be in trouble yeah. yeah no it would be it'd be a bit Difficult. I know with um, 
there's a famous uh, incident that happened on uh, during World War One on on the Ypres trenches, uh-huh. where where the English, uh, no, sorry, the French and the Germans actually stopped fighting so they could go and kill a wolf pack together. Wow! Because the wolf pack was actually preying on people from the trenches, so they'd found Gosh. that they could sneak, could sneak in and take take people or take horses or take. Whatever, because there was a lot of horses in World War One, right, right. so they go in and, and take. And they thought what had sta- what had happened is that the wolves had gone in and started eating carrion and dead bodies, and then gone. Well, we don't have to have them dead, hmm. you know. So they've been started. So actually, the the French and the Germans got together and had a amnesty for a, a little while while they went and destroyed all the local wolves and then went back to shooting each other afterwards. Yeah, we're a strange species, aren't we? Yeah, a bit bit different than a football game at Christmas, really. It is, but, you know. <laughs> Paul McCartney didn't sing about this one, did he? No, not really. Yeah. But yeah, I, I thought that I thought that was interesting. But yet again, we can see that the there's this underlying tone of danger and scariness, isn't there? You know, there is, there is, yeah. and with uh, with the beast of of Gévaudan, uh, apparently there were there were over two hundred attacks. A lot of people survived. Okay, so yeah. it's worth saying that. But uh, about 210 people were attacked and a lot of those were you know quite badly wounded and by the time it drew its final breath and when we say drew its final breath what we really mean is another wolf was killed and it coincided with the attack stopping so that was the beast and uh, it had killed 113 people wow and that's, so that's killed that's not attacked that's killed yeah. attacked double that virtually yeah. and and killed over a hundred human beings in that sort of three year period which is which was unprecedented and it's never happened since so this is potentially a wolf so why am i talking about that on this podcast well it's because some people have claimed did anyone, did anyone actually get accused of being the werewolf then no but no individual got accused of being the werewolf but people suspected there may have been one because how did right. this creature keep disappearing so effectively? Yeah, yeah. And the idea was that it turned itself into its human form and just blended back in. Um, yeah. Yeah. Makes you wonder. Yeah. Now, it's like guerrilla warfare, but done by wolves. <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah, indeed. Like a sneak thief, but it sneaks in and <laughs> takes your life, you know. Um, yeah. The Beast of Gévaudan has actually inspired a lot of fiction over the years right up to and including the Teen Wolf uh, Netflix series. All right. I've not watched it, but my research yeah. tells me. I have. Have you? <laughs> so the descendants of the Beast of Gévaudan's first victim appear in it as werewolf right. hunters. Yeah. Apparently. Okay. And they share the same surname. Yeah. Ah, right. See, these are the things I should know before I watch these things. I just watch these things. That's two things now. What was it? What was the other one? Rick Mayo was. Yes. It? Yeah, you sent yeah. me the clip. Yeah, yeah Rick Mayo and American Wealth in London. Yeah. I'm not going to write the second edition until we finish these podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> very wise. Very wise. Yeah. <laughs> Who knows what else I've got up my sleeve? I, I exactly. certainly don't. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. I, the medieval time was the time for werewolves. And um, yeah, I suppose then. We see humans slowly hunting them to almost entire extinction around yes. Europe. So the, the, I, I think the threat of the werewolf seems to be reduced as 
as that went on as well. So it's kind of weird how those two things coincided, isn't it? Yeah. It was only times yeah. of there's only times of like war and of pestilence and of things like that that the wolf came back into its own when it became I, I suppose where they get pushed to come out of their natural feeding patterns. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. What what do you think about the reintroduction of wolves? Because they're talking about reintroducing wolves into Scotland and stuff like that, which I think is a beautiful idea, but he's also slightly terrifying i know yeah. it shouldn't be it's a romantic idea and i think it's yeah. a, it's wonderful to think that there are people out there who have recognized the impact of humanity on the world around us and are trying mm. to seek ways to make that right um yeah i'm not sure how i'd feel about that if i was a farmer in no. scotland or if i had kids that walked over the hill to school early yeah. early doors or whatever um, we, have, we have huge problems up here with deer at times. You know, the roads are terrifying to drive down mm-hmm. sort of twilight and evening times because you don't know what's going to pop its way out of the hedge. And what I didn't realise is that the natural predator, of course, was the wolf. So yes. we have a lot of deer and maybe the, the wolves would have sat on them as a prey, as a predator species. But who knows? But uh, yeah, I don't think it's going to fly. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, they certainly still have wolves across the continental Europe and yeah. and wolf attacks do happen. Do they're happen. infrequent, but they do happen and they're not, it's not a good experience and occasionally fatal. Yeah. It's quite, it's quite rare. Um, I uh, got a friend in Poland who has seen wolves in Poland. He's never okay. had any problems, with them, but he's actually seen them on the hill. Yeah. And his, his father was killed by a moose. Goodness me. Or is it an elk? I can't remember. It's the same creature, I think. Right. But yeah, he drove into an elk, and an elk's belly height is at their exact same height as a windscreen. So, yeah. And it's kind of scary to think that those creatures are out there, like elks and wolves and bears and all that kind of stuff, isn't it, really? Yeah, I mean, the worst we get is typically a badger. An angry squirrel. Yeah, an angry squirrel. Absolutely. <laughs> we were talking about one of those earlier too. <laughs> um, so with that said, Europe was a was a frightening place to be uh, in the medieval period, that's for sure, when it came to, to werewolves. Um, but it wasn't only Europe that was a frightening place to be. Uh, there were other cultures and are other cultures around the world where where these types of creatures were rumoured to exist. And you did a fantastic series on Twitter where you were informing uh, one and all about some of those different types of creatures and, and, the, and the places that's, places that they came from. Uh, and you've picked a few out for us tonight, haven't you? Yeah, I, I mean, as I said, the, the great thing about the werewolf is it's not just limited to one place and uh, one type of of being as it were i mean even in even in scotland we have um a good werewolf um it's uh uh not really a werewolf it's a dogman and he is very helpful um i forgot his name right now which is terrible i you know get hit got hit another head when i was a child um <laughs> but yeah he, he he goes fishing for the local community and would leave fish at the doorstep of someone who'd fished who'd failed fishing that day and stuff like that i think it was a nice thing that people were doing would drop the fish off and go oh it must have been jamie the werewolf or yeah whoever, dave you know, the dogman 
Yeah, David. <laughs> <laughs> David Dogman dropped us some fish in, mate. But yeah, so we 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 do even see in our culture there are some nice references to it. But then when we go around the world, we see others. I mean, everyone knows what Skinwalker is. You know, yep. we've all heard of Skinwalker Ranch and all that kind of thing, and that's from the Navajo culture in a in America. That lots of the different uh, tribes over there have different stories about. Um, they're not particularly just skinwalkers, but of people that are able to become beasts or have a spiritual side to become a beast. But the skinwalkers are probably the most famous from the Navajo, and they're a bit on the borderline of being good and evil. So they can be very helpful and they can be very unhelpful mm -hmm. as well. Mm -hmm. And they're accepted within the community. Uh, uh, the Navajo don't say that there's no skinwalkers left. And um, there's a, a really funny interview with one of the, the Navajo leaders and he's asked why, why does he believe that there's no skinwalkers left? And he basically turns around and says, because they've got big glowy eyes, you knobhead. But he says it in a very American <laughs> way. So it's like, yeah, you could tell they were a skinwalker because even in the daylight, their eyes would glow in glow. And I was like, okay, right. so you can probably right. tell there's no skinwalkers left. And they would be uh, able to see the future and see the past. And they would also be really good at tracking and finding particular things. But they were always on the outskirts of the community and they were never allowed to have a, a partner. They were never allowed okay. to have a, a a wife and breed and things like that. And it was kind of part of the, the gubbins that that was supposed to happen, which I, I thought was, I hope I've got that right, by the way. I've, I'm only repeating <laughs> what I've read. Well, some of our so, Navajo uh, audience will set us straight yeah. on that, I'm sure, if, if not. Yeah. If you're studying Navajo uh, tribal systems and things at Aberdeen University, please don't come <laughs> Um, and then, of course, we have my favourite, which yes. are the berserkers, warriors of the Viking time. I, what, what I've learned is that berserkers were bearskins and Uthastan, oh, please let me say that right, <laughs> Uthan or Uthastan were the wolfskins. And the wolfskins were young men who had lots of energy and would charge into battle. And then you had your berserkers, which were the older men, or tended to be thought of as being the older men who were a little bit wiser, but would get into this kind of animal characteristic before they ran into battle they would often go into battle not wearing very much but a but a furry hat mm -hmm. and, a, and a sword and attack things um and I, I always thought they were a kind of made up thing and then when i actually started reading some of the sagas and things like that no no, these guys used to um sip on fly agaric juice the magic mushrooms of the local um area lots of alcohol and then go and fight you know, right usual right. saturday afternoon in manchester so a bit of the um, old dutch courage as, as yeah, they say the old dutch courage, yeah and they it, it used to make them very brave and they were very excited to go to the halls of valhalla very young mm -hmm. that, their belief was that they wanted to get there as quick as they possibly could very bravely so, yeah, and they, that's uh that's a culture uh, and a belief system that's very alien to us these days but it and it, but it was also very alien to just about everybody else in the world back then. Yeah, I I, I love I love the Viking the Viking mentality is it, I mean what we know of it is something completely different. The idea of the Drenger, this idea that you would be willing to fight anybody for any reason, um, because if it's your day to die, 
you've got a choice to die bravely or you might die tripping over the carpet. Yeah. Which way would you prefer to die? Well, the way that's going to get you into Valhalla, obviously. Yeah, if, definitely. You know, if you're a, a Viking a very guy. Thing. Yeah. So the, the, their outlook on life is very different. So anything that aided them in, in getting to that famous state quickly yeah they would go for it it was a very different outlook on life mm-hmm. i mean you didn't you didn't take the mickey out of anybody's boots in vikings times because they would to try and kill you for it so. <laughs> absolutely Again, reminds me of certain areas of newcastle <laughs> quite yeah. yes um then we have um where hyenas hi, hi, yeah those hyenas of africa uh again we have these creatures it was it was more that the hyenas could speak and they would be out there and they would call members of the tribe out to meet them and obviously when the tri- members of the tribe would go out to meet them they would end up being dinner yes so and um the little i know of hyenas is they're very very cunning and very clever mm-hmm. so there's i can understand why there was a half belief that they could sit and mimic human voices on the edge of the on the edge of the fire and call you out to to meet your doom as it were and of course they have this uh, this laughing tone yeah yeah they're terrifying they and they're immensely powerful they're the only thing on the african savanna that will sort of square off square up to a lion yeah yeah i mean they're they're an incredible they're an incredible creature uh again so much bigger than you think they're going to be you know absolutely massive and the females are larger than the males um and they they're the the dominance in the tribe okay and they, they actually have a pseudo penis and what they do is they go around and, and they hump all the boys to put them in their place. So it's a very different way of looking at things. Um, the, the hyenas are particularly terrifying. And the, yeah, the idea that they're clever enough to call you out and you would hear your name when you sat by the fire. I'm sure that I'm sure if you've got a little brother somewhere or something, there was lots of jokes that went on about that. Can you imagine? Absolutely. <laughs> Gosh, the possibilities are endless yeah. <laughs> for mischief. Well, and then you, if we go to Japan, there's nothing, there's nothing specifically werewolf apart from now in in manga and stuff. But we have these wonderful kitsune, and he, I can't say it. I'm apologising. I'll have a go at this one. Hengi yokai, Hengi yokai. Yeah, and these are amazing creatures. Um, eight-tailed wolves, uh, eight-tailed foxes, and things. Um, often beautiful beautiful women that then become the, the fox creature and again they're like sometimes like sirens that they'd they'd get a man to fall in love with them then take them out into the wild and they could be helpful they could be mischievous they could be all these different things but they were a fox who had the ability to ch- change into the into the human into the woman or into the person as it were so they have a very different way of, of looking at it. So it's the reverse yeah, image almost. Yeah. It's like a, a reverted werewolf. Yeah. You know, so um and yeah, and then I suppose different ideas of the the Slavic idea of the werewolf um that could change at choice. So it wasn't a curse, it was just part of your 
your makeup. I, again, I can't say it. Volk, black. I'm sorry, my Slavic languages are terrible. I think that was pretty close, actually. Yeah. But yeah, these were people that could use it for if they needed to go and get something done, like go get the hunting done. Or... So like like the, the modern idea of a shapeshifter who yeah. can just, yeah. you know, grit their teeth and suddenly it happens. Yes, I think I based my character on the kind of idea that I think that's a modern thing in werewolf uh, literature and TV where you can decide, oh, I'm going to be a werewolf now. Yeah. Um, so I think that's that's it. So, so yeah, there's there's many examples around the world, and that's only a few of them. There are so many different, not specifically wolves, because I suppose not everywhere had wolves, um, but there's this idea of... Um, a predatory creature that people could turn into. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. So just taking a moment to consider the word myth then, and how we tend to think of it these days in contemporary society, because there's a lot of mythology that we're talking about here and we haven't really spoken about what a myth is. So a myth, the modern definition of a myth is a traditional story especially one concerning the early history of a people or explaining a natural or social phenomenon typically involving supernatural beings. The thing that stands out in that, and shout out to Google for the, uh, for the definition there, uh, other search engines are available. The <laughs> thing that stands out to me in that definition is that it's a traditional story, okay? And it's something traditional something that's passed mm. down through the generations you know that would be the definition of something that's a, it's, a tradition. it's only by word of mouth it's things that, that stand in there i mean if you look at the viking sagas everyone has we have all these stories about the vikings but none of them were really written down until no. medieval times you know so it's always been passed down by and I, I suppose my idea of a myth is it's always got you know some good intention behind it don't go into the woods because there are things that could eat you yeah you know don't go and talk to strangers because they might not be nice you know that, that kind of thing i think it differentiates a myth is a kind of a teaching tool you know if, if we look at like the the norse sagas and things like that they're trying to show you how to be a good person or not how to behave yes you know uh what it is to be a a good member of society and i think the the myths are the same thing it's just a really good way of teaching your children not to do anything daft isn't it i think so and you know we see it in things like the the sagas and the great poems we also see it i think in things like what used to be called old wives tales yeah oh yeah yeah right and i think there's a there's a whole rich vein of great lessons for young people um, yeah. in that sort of traditional uh, generational sharing of, of uh, good behaviour and knowledge around, don't do that, there's bad stuff happens. Yeah. I mean, I mean it's uh, the, the problem with the youth is uh, uh, I, I remember every, every, genera- every generation that has ever been has always thought that the youth of the last generation are much worse than themselves. Yes. I mean, what, I, I wrote a book on um, brain behaviour and development in children. And what, what I found was amusing was that 
there's a, a great thing from the second century BC. I can't remember the guy who wrote it, basically decrying how the kids of today can't be educated. They're all <laughs> narky and horrible and all that kind of thing. But if if you've got a good enough story and you convince those kids that that's going to happen, don't go in the woods because the wolves will eat you. Why? Because I've got an example of when it happened. Yeah, You know, they, they might actually listen to it. So, yeah, the myth is a great teaching tool. Yeah, it is. And we still use tools based around stories today to teach lessons, but we tend not to share them by word of mouth anymore, right? You know, there became a point where writing stuff down on tablets of stone became the thing to do if you wanted uh, knowledge to endure. And then over the years that became, so I don't know, papyrus and then paper and then maybe TV and movies. Right. Yeah. And now YouTube and it's all in the cloud, right? It's there forever. And you can't delete stuff that's yeah. on the internet. It's there forever. Um, mm. as far as we know, until it isn't, I suppose. But uh, the <laughs> knowledge is certainly being shared in a very different variety of ways. And that probably, I suppose, turns the lens a little bit towards sort of contemporary culture, modern culture, and how some of those uh myths have manifested themselves maybe um in some of the things that we connect with today and we don't necessarily think of them as as myths the movies oh yeah yeah um what what surprises me with the, the the modern sort of view on werewolves is how many people um would like to it seems to have changed from being a curse in general to the amount of people who would actually wish that it was a the case that's an interesting I mean, yeah it seems to be there's a lot of people out there who would who are not happy with life as they are and would want to be a vampire or would want mm-hmm. to be a werewolf all those kind of, which is a massive change from in the past where your head was end, ended up on a spike so that's one of the things that i've noticed is this kind of changing and the the idea of the of the, the modern idea so i suppose really we should look at that generation through literature and through the modern um sort of films and tv as you said mm-hmm. shouldn't we really yeah so i suppose it all really started with with film really i suppose again i'll try and get my dates right this time mm. uh all started with film really for the werewolf as it were i mean at the turn of the century looking at literature the werewolf was in the stories but it was in the red riding hood and in the thing as a bad example wasn't it and then we brought yeah, I think it's one of your favourites, isn't it? 1941, The Wolfman? It sure is. It sure is. I was reading a, a list of the top 25 werewolf movies of all time, and it still comes in at, a, I think, about number four or number five on most people's lists, even today. It's so influential and a great film. Yeah, and I, I think it's the... The, the the first popularized version werewolf movie that became popularized and that's the first time we see the portrayal of that particular kind of character as the wolfman and this animalistic creature that he he's they're being portrayed as now that um there's some element of the human still left inside them yes um, even though they are the werewolf there's even when they're the the werewolf there's you know I always think it's the idea that you have this creature sat in the back of your head 
and you know sometimes you let go to the animalistic side of yourself and this is the idea that we can sort of semi-control that sometimes it escapes and and gets out and stuff and then i suppose we have to mention her name Anne rice we do. We do. <laughs> and i love her she's a brilliant writer it's fantastic i just i just wrote a story uh using her kind of prose style which was really entertaining i i really like doing that um and she's very moralistic and she encapsulates the difference between good and evil and what's acceptable and what's and not. she loves so, to play with that dynamic too i mean i read yeah. all the interview with the vampire books and the character lestat de leon court um he's he's the you know the baddie that everybody loves to hate well, and hates to love yeah. right but you, yeah. you can't help but be attracted to the character somehow i i think that's the, i think that's the thing that's been brought around isn't it? is that evil now has a certain quality of attraction to it you know like something's that dangerous you know it's like i was always told at school you know to be attractive you've got to be the dangerous boy or you've got to be the the cool on edge kind of dude and all that kind of stuff so the the there's something about the evil that is very attractive that someone can get away with doing that kind of thing and behaving like that. And that seems to be a more modern thing as well. Cause mm. in the past you didn't want to be the wolf in red riding hood. No, you no, know, because he, he was a bad and he got killed, you know, yes. while it seems that half the time in these stories, now you're rooting for the bad guy. <laughs> well, and, and, and even, you know, just going back to Anne Rice there, there are justifications for what they do Lestat yeah. Lestat takes on this uh, set of sort of moral code whereby he'll only kill uh, cr- criminals murderers so he's this yeah. sort of um, moral retribution on behalf of humanity yeah taking revenge on people they don't even know have committed these crimes but he does you know he get, in, goes out and it- gets them in his case, he's become like the anti-hero, hasn't he? Yes. He's, a, he, he's willing. He's willing to do the wrong thing for the right reason. Yes, quite. So yeah, I, I, I can, I can see that. But that wasn't that wasn't the thing of the of the vampire of old or the werewolf of old, was it? No, they were a monster. They they were from hell. And if you look at Nosferatu, he wasn't thinking about whether he ought to do something before he did it. I have to say that that uh, original depiction in, in the original Nosferatu movie, I can't imagine too many girls fancying him or boys for that matter. I can't imagine anyone fancying him really. He was quite scary looking. No, there's somebody for everyone though, I believe, isn't there? But, you know, maybe, maybe not with him. I'm not quite sure. Yeah. And then I, I think what happened then is because the dangerous became attractive, especially with the Anne Rice kind of thing. And, and, uh, dangerous and androgynous as well yes um we then started stuff like the twilight series and the fact that you know i I think you said it last week very well is that you you wouldn't want your daughter to try and get off with a vampire it doesn't seem right yeah but um yeah that they become this attractive outcast that is a romantic figure instead of being this evil downright dirty horrible thing that shouldn't be put up with 
Now we should accept them and understand that it's not their fault and um, they're, they're trying to do their best and all this kind of thing and they become a romantic figure. And that's kind of how I, I see it changing. And then with sort of contemporary stuff, they've either gone down the, the line of the romantic character or they've gone down the line of the action adventure yes. character. So we've kind of moved away from the the werewolf as the the creature of horror in particular. There are still a few cracking films that come up, like Dog Soldiers every now and again. Mm-hmm. Um, but like... These days, the werewolf, the vampire, uh, frighteningly, zombies have become this misunderstood. We should accept them, and I, I suppose that's the, the a sign of the times in a, in a way, the acceptance of other. So yeah, it, it just seems to me how the myth has changed from fear and horror. Yeah, and uh, I'll share with you. I was exchanging messages with uh, with another writer on uh, threads earlier today Mm -hmm. and she was uh, conducting a discussion about people's expectations of the of the things they engage with whether that's sort of films or books or whatever it is you know don't choose something that's not your thing and then say it's no good and um, yeah you know if uh, if you want a vampire that's a romantic lead probably don't read Dracula Mm. it's probably not the right Mm. one for you right read Twilight perfect for you uh, yeah. Equally, if you want uh, a, a traditional sort of the malevolent creature is the baddie type book, then make sure that you're buying the right one because there's more choice now than there used to be. Uh, mm-hmm. And as a as a consumer, I think we have to be responsible for making the right choices in in what we uh, spend our time with. Definitely. I I mean, one of the things that I I like to do because. I, I suppose I'm a, I, I don't know, I like to torture myself in certain aspects is I will read lots of different various ideas on the same theories. So like with the vampire stuff and the werewolf stuff, I will, I like to have a huge cross section of people's ideas and stuff. It's, it, it's not right for everyone. I'm doing it for a reason because I, because I write werewolf fiction, I suppose, but I, I like to do that so that I can compare different creatures from different genres i i like the idea of of seeing how other people see what i see you know and, and understand the character as they understand the character and i've sometimes poo-pooed things and then turned around and gone no that's that's really good you know <laughs> <laughs> I, I was never a real fan of neil gaiman and then i read his north mythos okay north north mythos and i was like that's absolutely fantastically written normally for me it's quite Neil Gaiman is quite scattered. It's like, oh, we're doing this, now we're doing that, now we're doing this, and now we're doing that. And then, but with that, it was absolutely fantastic. You could see that he had a real love for it, and I got his writing. And after that, I read, you know, um, Dream and all these different characters. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, yeah, so I, I think it's, I think it's good to vary and look, not look at a book and go, oh, I shouldn't read this. Uh, although with Twilight, I did do fifteen pages before I had to go and <laughs> put it down and have a little cry, but. Yeah, we won't go any further. There, there is, of course, the you know expectation versus reality. Um, don't one star Anna Karenina because it hasn't got any zombies or graphic sex yeah. in it, right? Yeah, <laughs> you're dead right. One, one of my favourite things, though, is I, when I get a bad review. I love it when I get a bad review. Well, some of them can be because, fun in their own right. 
Yeah, but sometimes you just sit there and and it's like you say, I just feel like giving them the money back and just saying it wasn't for you. Yeah. I don't get it. Like the, one of the best bad reviews I've ever had was basically describe my character to a T saying that is this person, this is how he behaves. He's horrible. He's narcissistic. He's la, 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 la. And I'm, I just felt like putting it at the end of it. Like, yeah, that's, that's exactly <laughs> how he is. Yeah. <laughs> You've got it. That's perfect. Yeah. You know, but yeah, I, I yeah, I, I like to have a look. I mean, do, do you do much reading around the genre yourself before you? before you write or, uh, or have you got a key idea in your head of what you're doing? I th- yeah. I, I think there's a risk with me. There's a risk. I'll start imitating to if I, right. So I, I tend to build stuff out in my imagination, I guess a bit first, don't get me wrong. Uh, the genres that I've written in thus far have been the things that I've enjoyed being a consumer of most of my life. So it, it's not like I'm not, I'm starting from scratch. I'm, I'm not, you know, everything, everything at the end of the day is inspired by something. There's very mm. little that's truly original, even if it's a premise or, or, or whatever. Um, yeah. But I, I haven't read something to give myself a run up. Let's put it that way. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I quite, I quite like, I quite like seeing other people's takes on stuff. And I really must admit, I, I uh, read, I read Lord of the Rings again recently and realized that it's a book designed for 15 year olds. Because it's brilliant. When I was when I was fifteen, it was one of the best books I'd ever read in my entire life. And now I, I've read it recently, and I'm like, it's not a lot to it, really. It's mm. just a description of people wandering through some woods and bumping into things. Yeah. You know, there's no like deep in depth look at characters or anything like that. You know, so it, it also strange how you your mind. I'm, I'm reading your book again for the second time, and I've just got up to the bit where. Um, Charlie's punched. I can't say his name. Tell him. <laughs> Tell him a co. Yeah, and he's going to turn into. I, I, I've read it before, so I know what's going to happen. But like, I'm just, <laughs> there's bits of it that I've already went. Oh right, now I see. Yeah, yeah, you got through right. Okay, because yeah, it just becomes more. Yes. So yeah, I, I like, I like rereading and stuff as well. But I, yeah, I, I think if you're buying a book and you're looking for a certain thing, then make sure you've looked into it. <laughs> This is it. If you've got a, if you've got an idea of what you want, then make sure you get it, because if you get something else, it might be something that you actually don't want. It might also be yeah. something that you didn't know you wanted. There is, yeah. there is that the happy accident. But um, don't hold it against a writer if you've bought the wrong book. I guess. Well, I told you recently. I, I, have done the re- the thing of reading the classics like Moby Dick and yeah. things yeah. that I would never look at recently, and realised that there's a reason why they're the classics. Because they're really good. I've just finished yeah. Crime, Crime and Punishment, and I'm actually that was a brilliant book. Uh-huh. <laughs> and there's a reason why it's a classic, you know. So yeah, you've got to choose them well. Indeed. Well, look, we've oh, we've gone well over. Sorry, we we said there was a bit to unpack there, didn't we? And uh, yeah. <laughs> and guess what? There certainly was. And do you know what? Have you seen the candle burns low? It's wick now, nothing more than a fading ember, but it's all right because we've been up all night and daybreak is upon us once more. We've survived another night in the log cabin. It's all good. Um, So thank you so much for another fantastic conversation on the subject of werewolves and a little bit of housekeeping. I'm going to remember to do the housekeeping this time. All right. Sorry. So if you want to hear more from from Fenrir Thorvaldsen, you can find him 
on all your usual social uh, media channels, Twitter, Facebook being among the very top ones there. He's very active uh, across both of those. Yeah. Uh, but you're on all the others too, really, aren't you? All your TikToks yeah, and only, YouTubes and whatnot. There's only, there's only two of us in the world, so you'll find me if you put that name in, in Google. There is another, is there? Yeah, there is another Fenrir Thorvalds, and there you I go. was really sorry to hear that. Gosh. I, well, you're the first one I've met. Well... Well, if you, if you, I've got the other one on Instagram. Oh, maybe I'll track him down, introduce myself, <laughs> uh, so, so I can say I know too. Uh, maybe. <laughs> um, Common name. But in particular, folks, do check out Werewolf the podcast if you haven't already. It is a lot of fun, and it's quite horrifying. It's thought provoking, and it's great. It's imaginative, and it really, genuinely is truly original. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, it's not you're knocking it out of the park. It's it's a viral sensation on on podcasting, and that's that's true. Um, and I would I would say check out Greg's book because it is a brilliant book. And I, I as I've said before, I don't say that very often about literature. Um, I'm quite a snob when it comes to it. And when I read his book, I was a bit gutted how good it was, to be honest. You know, competition <laughs> and all that. <laughs> you really are. i said this last time but you're being very kind um but i'll take it no, i'll take it where i can get it <laughs> no no honestly you can see from the reviews and good reads and everything that you you're getting what you deserve honestly oh thank you yeah so talking of literature that's the subject next time uh lycanthrope literature i think we're calling that um mm-hmm. so we'll we'll be back next time that will be episode number three this was episode number two we're releasing one two and three all at the same time so you could really binge the heck out of an evening um on werewolves by picking these first three up there will be episodes four and five to follow as well until next time fen it's good night isn't it it's good night from him is it oh it's good night from me and and it's good night from him good night (laughs) Good night. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>